0: on movies with rebecca and jason are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, here comes, comes the binge. binge hey everybody welcome to the binge in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases just kidding the latest streaming releases i am jason Leroy,
1: and i'm rebecca Alarte, and today we have four movies for you yes god yes the fight she dies tomorrow and amulet and as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means
0: life is too short for that mess, especially if you're dying tomorrow. Uh, mm. so, uh, or if you're convinced you're going to. But we'll get into that later.
1: That's movie number three this week. Let's not get yes. ahead of ourselves, Jason.
0: No. Let's start with no, movie number no. one, shall we? Ugh, okay.
1: The first movie this week is Yes, God, Yes. After an innocent AOL chat turns racy, a Catholic teenager in the early 2000s discovers masturbation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How did she say (laughs) masturbation? What did she say? I don't even know. You were just like, all right, no, Larte, be cool. Just say it cool.
1: I started reading these ahead of time.
0: <laughs> yeah, cold reading. Not always, uh, not always your forte.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Never once has been my forte. We all discovered it in this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> I was not familiar with this word before. And so I'm so sure how it's pronounced.
1: <laughs> discovers masturbating and struggles to suppress her new urges in the face of eternal damnation. Casey's still recovering from the gaff <sighs> oh my of, my, uh, oh. of my reading. Oh, every time.
0: Someone really want to make it clear that she has never seen or said the word masturbating before.
1: <laughs> there are certain things that are always true with the death taxes, and I will fuck up the reading of the description of the movie, at least one of the movies, every single week. For the past, how many years have we been doing this?
0: I uh, no. not know, 40, 50? And also, I think just, you know, the, the former Catholic in you just jumped out and was like, no, don't say it!
1: <laughs> this movie... Did trigger a lot of old old feelings. That's for sure. Uh,
0: I want to hear all about it. This is like novitiate the comedy.
1: (laughs) This so where novitiate is like the romantic, like idea of what I thought Catholic schooling and a Catholic education would be like. This is the sad reality of the like nouveau, uh, cool, hip. Catholicism of the late 90s, early 2000s um, that I was was forced to be a
0: part of. Buddy Christ.
1: This movie was spot on. It could have been a a documentary of my I went to a a camp very similar to that. The the teacher, the the weird out of place efforts to be super cool while also not like bending the message to at all be relevant to to teenage (laughs) life. It was too on point. I I was like bringing up photos of me like wearing like, you know, sweat sweatshirts and and like camp clothes for and one of those events while we were watching
0: it. And how did how did Sol feel looking at those photos?
1: Some of them she was like, you're so cute. And some of them she was like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Wearing like an oversized T-shirt and like Timberland boots. (laughs) It all tracks.
0: Oh, uh, the future you jumped out and then jumped back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh as as we talked about in the show before, I, I was not raised Catholic, but I was in an extremely evangelical Protestant community in college. Uh well starting in my senior year of high school and then all through college. So I also resonated uh <laughs> with uh with this movie quite a bit. This one, this one gets us where we live, or at least where we once lived. So here we have uh, Natalia Dyer of Stranger Things uh, playing this, uh, this, this sweet, sweet Catholic teenage girl uh, who has been very sheltered and uh, and then one day, as you mentioned, uh, is corrupted via an AOL chat room and then the whole thing then <laughs> everything just goes to hell. Uh, this movie is written and directed by Karen Main, uh, who was one of the co-writers of Obvious Child, uh, and it is uh, very, uh, very closely based on her own experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. so, the, so that authenticity that you felt uh, came through because she, I read an interview today where she said that it's like 80% exactly what happened to her in her actual life. So. Oh, wow. I think
1: uh, the description talks a lot. You know, mentions this moment where she like discovers this AOL, AOL chat in masturbation. But like, I feel like the real frame of this movie is about this like four day long camp she goes on. Yeah. Um, it's like a Catholic specific kind of camp where you go and learn these lessons throughout the days, and they have uh, the whole you know cool teacher, played by
0: Timothy Simon from Deep, There It Is, who and... I thought was cute in this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so predictable. I was like, ooh, kind of like cool, like scruffy youth pastor into it,
1: <laughs> and uh, I could totally see that for you. I could see that for you. I, I also could see the like jockey prep.
0: Oh, guy. I'm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the close-ups of his like of his ridiculously hairy forearms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we were trying to figure out if that was CGI. <laughs> Makeup. <laughs> <CGI. For real.
0: laughs> I think that I think they were like forearm Merkins. I'm gonna merkins, say, yeah, okay. Merkins for forearms. I, I'm gonna say that's that's what the deal was there, but like it was to me like the funniest sort of like female gaze close up since uh <laughs> eighth grade. Whenever um, whenever she like keeps seeing that one guy, Back of his neck. yeah, and like there's like in that music, like kicks in, and it's like boom, boom, boom. Uh, like, yeah, this this was right up there with that. Every time they had the forearm cutaway, I just died laughing.
1: I could think exactly of who the guy is in high school that that character reminds me of. Oh. Um, this guy named Craig. Um, of not course so much he was the, named Craig. Of course he was. Not so much in the, like, hairy forearm department, but more in the, like, m- moms love him, captain of the quarterback of the quarterback captain team. <laughs> doesn't Uh, (laughs) masturbate absolutely not
0: no yeah yeah, just just golden boy minister golden
1: Golden boy so in this weekend she not only is she kind of struggling to figure out what's going on with sexuality but it's like all around her and there's nobody really around even though there's all this structure in this camp there's nobody around to explain anything everyone just makes it all the more complicated her friends the youth pastor until she meets lesbian savior
0: (laughs) in a scene lifted wholesale from but i'm a cheerleader
1: oh completely completely wholesale (laughs) (laughs) just like pick it up cut and paste age the faces switch it around yeah
0: Full on, full on copy paste job here. Uh, the the Julie Delby character from *Bramble Cheerleader* is very much present uh, in this movie, uh, but without this sort of uh, you know, sort of the implied attraction uh, right. and flirtation. It was just more of a, just more of a sort of a wise older lesbian, you know, granting counsel to a confused straight t- Catholic teenage girl.
1: I think you're just not accounting for how often it happens in real life. <laughs>
0: you like, I can hear from your tone that you feel like it was somehow not believable.
1: Uh, no, I can't. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I fully do.
0: Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I feel like there is no better uh, thing for any confused teenager to do than to wander into a lesbian bar. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you'll hear everything you need to know about any situation that's wrong in your life.
1: If more teenagers uh, walked into lesbian bars. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Just, I mean, like, you know, asshole asshole boys.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be such a boon for the astrology app business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many birth charts being drawn up. So <laughs> it would be a lot of a lot of great things to come of it. Um, and this mm-hmm. movie is really if about nothing else, it's about that. It's about the power of of wise lesbian counsel. Mm-hmm. Uh and just the way it can disrupt the the toxic systems that you have become bound up in it's a way to fetch those bolt cutters and get out there you go Uh, but uh but yes so so that that was very and the whole movie any any movie that's about sort of a uh a camp setting uh where it's you know there's a sort of a i mean that's the thing about my mature leader that was interesting right is that it was not overtly like a religious camp Um, like there was, there was sort of coded religion, but they didn't need to come out and say like, this is a Jesus camp. Like it was just, it was just a conversion camp, uh, with, you know, sort of perhaps implied religious causes behind Mm -hmm. the philosophy, uh, as opposed to this, not a conversion camp, but all the same, it's a camp that is built around denial of, of basic sexual reality.
1: Right. Although Uh, I wouldn't also wouldn't say it's like a Jesus camp type zealous event either it's the sort of like half-assed christian catholic (laughs) camp right Right. of like (laughs) people just wanting to get away for the weekend and like hearing some stories doing some oh my god the thing where the parents write you a letter totally did that i (laughs) went to this camp i think i went to this camp and but it's all of it's just like you just have to do it every year, and it's not like particularly. It's not particularly impactful or prioritized. Like the, it is very much about these, you know, these spiritual exercises. But it's like just so half-assed that it doesn't teach anybody anything. Or because I was, I was trying to picture this. and I'm like, oh, here I go again, like bashing religion in front of Jason. <laughs> but then mm-hmm. I was like, well, there are ways to approach this. I can imagine, you know, other other religions, or you see a lot of like those hip those really hip cool you know evangelical uh oh, yeah. groups that like do kind of like get down on, on someone's level and, and talk to them about these regardless of what they end up saying this doesn't even like they don't even try to like meet people where they're at
0: right well you know and this is ultimately and this is not about bashing religion and that's true but uh no karen Maine has even said that like I guess her uh, people from the school that she went to, uh, uh, this Catholic school that she went to, have been like sliding into her DMs to like tell her that she should die and go to hell, Uh, Mm -hmm. and how dare and how dare she tarnish Catholicism and like make their school look bad. And she's like, "That's not what I'm doing." Um, You haven't seen the movie. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not about you know, religion per se, it's just about any sort of belief system that denies sort of the essential basics of discussing human sexuality, uh, and just sort of, you know, abstinence education and that kind of thing. And that's, that's very much what we see here. Um, Another thing that I felt that this, this movie captured really well, um, is the way that sort of younger faith based groups tend to really encourage even though even though they're officially against physical masturbation what they are very much in favor of is emotional and psychological masturbation and they prefer Mm. doing it in a group (laughs) Uh, very true and that is so real that is so real um where you know you're just for some reason you're called upon to just reveal your innermost trauma um to people who you don't necessarily know that well Mm -hmm. And it's it's in the name of this kind of forced intimacy that is like borderline Mm non-consensual and you're just being pressured like everyone's like laying all their shit out there breaking into tears it's creating this kind of false sense of bonding and community um the director was saying she also feels like then they you know it gets you all worked up and all exposed emotionally but then you don't feel like you can really connect with anyone about it and so then they come barreling in and they're like well you know you can't connect with jesus and you're like okay cool i'll do that <laughs> uh, and i just like i countless countless memories i have from those years of my life of just like meeting somebody and then just like just just diving right in and just like spewing my entire like trauma reel uh, because I was under the impression that that was what it looked like to have like a faithful, honest conversation uh and to sort of just like cut to the reality of of our work as kingdom builders or whatever mm, and um, that's a
1: good way of summarizing the first season of the binge movie podcast
0: <laughs> so you know it was fresher then it was fresher then I was still going through it, I was processing it. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so th- I think that, the, this, this depiction in this movie of that, uh, also is, is, is very well done. Another thing that really, that they got right, that I was like, oh, too fucking true, um, <laughs> is when you are, when you're in this kind of like young religious setting and there's such a premium being put on, you know, chastity and abstinence and all that, people are for sure still fucking everywhere.
1: Oh, I mean, it's the only time uh, you're like not at home. Yeah.
0: And especially like for for someone like me who at the time was like uh you know, I was out as like a person struggling with same sex attraction, um, which is how I refer to it at the time, uh, it was like I was like, okay, well, like, that's a, at least they're all with me on this. Like at least like I know like I'm not allowed to do this and they're not allowed to do this either, unless they get married. Cause you know, I work, I was a camp counselor at a sleepaway, a very, very, very zealous sleepaway Christian camp for two summers. And like the entire time, you know, of course, it was like sexually frustrating. But I was like, oh, well, they sprang together. And then one by one, my friends would be like, oh, yeah, no, like I was, you know, yeah, no, like she blew me behind that building and we did this. And like, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, yeah, that was going all everywhere. And I'm like, you fuckers, do you know the torment I put myself through on this stuff? And you guys don't even give a shit. So uh, and that comes to play in this, in this film as well.
1: In full yeah. display here, um, yeah. and the other thing you're you're sitting there and, and having these forced moments of vulnerability in the meantime, everyone's still a teenager at the height of their shittiness, pettiness, mm-hmm. and like right. backstabby, terrible inability to like actually form relationships with, with others. It's a toxic combination of of things. I yeah. really enjoyed the the um the main character, Alice, when she does have one of those moments of, of forced intimacy and her just like inability to play along. <laughs> and she's just like <laughs> stares awkwardly. You know, everyone everyone else is kind of like falling over themselves, like providing comfort. And she just kind of like <laughs> so awkward and then like, m- you know, makes up a story. It's hilarious.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you feel seen by that?
1: I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think Natalia Dyer in this has she does a really great job like figuring out what well, apparently so Karen Maine first made this as a short um, and, Nat- and Natalia Dyer played this character in the short as well before they made it into this feature. Although the feature is just barely feature because its total running time is, I believe, 78 minutes.
1: Is that right under or over the wire of a movie that you hate?
0: You know, it's really close. Normally, I would say I require 80 minutes. Mm. Um, but now that I've seen this, I will lower it to 75. If a movie's under 75 minutes, (laughs) that's really going to be dicey. Under 70, fuck you. That's not a feature-length film. Uh, If it's within 10 minutes of just an hour, that's not a feature-length film. Uh, But uh, yeah, so Natalia Dyer has worked out a really great sort of just oblivious, bewildered face (laughs) Mm. (laughs) um, to just kind of keep on for the entire movie there's a running gag that like somebody started a rumor that she tossed a guy a salad. Um, and the entire movie she's dogged by this and she, and the joke is that she just doesn't know what it means. And she keeps kind of accidentally doing things that suggest that she's like super into tossing salads. (laughs) Uh, Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is a really, a really fun, uh, performance from her. Uh, you know, the movie is, yeah, it's well observed. You can, of course, like you and I clearly have had experiences that this very much resonate with. Um, you know, in, in, it's also at the same time, as we mentioned with the the bar scene, this is a very, very derivative movie um, that is reminiscent of many other films. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say that they broke the mold with this one.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, it's 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 certainly I don't even know if I want to call it formulaic because I mean, like most movies have a formula. So it's not like a ding to be like, hey, it had a formula. But, you know, it was it was funny. It was well observed. It was well acted. Um, it captured those moments really, really uh, impactfully. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really insightful. And I think that even if you don't have those experiences, it can you can relate to the moment when you kind of realize that um, nobody knows what they're doing. I think that's also, that's also yeah. kind of what the wise lesbian in the movie says. But that <laughs> exactly. it's easy to relate to that moment when you're like, OK, parents, OK, school, OK, you know, community leaders, friends. Nobody actually knows what's going on. Um, and I need to figure out like what is right and wrong for me by myself.
0: Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Um and even even, you know, even just watching and hearing that lesbian's wise counsel in the bar, it was like I was hearing it for the first time. I was like, mm. "Yes, God, she's so right. Um we do all have our own problems." Uh but you know, I feel like this movie ultimately kind of splits the difference between saved and pen 15.
1: Mm yeah, I could see that,
0: and so, if you are a fan of those things, then you will almost certainly enjoy yourself watching this movie
1: mm-hmm. and I did um kind of struggling with the rating. Um, you know, binge it feels very weighty. Um, mm-hmm. but consume feels like not enough. So yeah. I guess I'm gonna go consume plus binge minus somewhere in that family,
0: yeah. I would go I would go in the same direction. Um, yeah, I would say absolutely. Binge Mind is consumed. Plus, it's very much uh, on that plane of our, of our ever elusive rating system.
1: <laughs> uh, and it's available to rent on Apple, Amazon, Google, and rated R for sexual content and some nudity. Movie number two is The Fight. Same movie. <laughs> An inside look at the legal battles that lawyers for the American Civil Liberties Union are facing during the Trump administration.
0: <sighs> this is a right turn alert. Uh, I'm, like, going to have to put myself into a completely different emotional mental state to talk about this movie.
1: Full disclosure, card-carrying member of the ACLU for over a decade or more.
0: Conflict so of interest. i going to put that
1: out there, if it pleases the court. <sighs> boy,
0: oh, boy, this I boy, think oh, boy. you
1: summarized this for me. I was trying to watch it, then I had, had some issues. It's something like... Uh, like a sizzle reel of all of the major disappointments of the Trump administration—is that what you called it?
0: I think I called it a blood-boiling distillation of the last four years.
1: Mm, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: and that's my review. It, it is. Covers a all the greatest hits. It really does. Um, so we have here, uh, this this sort of brilliantly edited movie, uh, in which uh, which which was filmed over the course of three years. Uh, made by the documentarians who previously made Wiener, uh, which we loved. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, uh, you know, unintentionally, the subject of that film perhaps contributed to the reality that they are covering in this one. Uh, But so we have uh, over the course of three years, we follow five lawyers at the ACLU. Um, As they work on four cases uh, that touch sort of a variety of different uh, sort of constitutional crises that have been um, shat on by the Trump administration. Uh, We have a uh, reproductive rights case involving uh, a, a migrant woman who is pregnant and who is being forced to carry her baby to term by the government. Uh, we have the trans military ban in several forms. We have uh, family separation at the border. Uh, and we have, oh, uh, the census and voter suppression. So, you know, it's a little something is- for everybody. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and the movie um, makes the very, very smart decision to sort of edit them all together. Um, as opposed to telling each story consecutively, instead it sort of acts like, a you know, uh, just there's four different storylines and it just sort of is just checking back in with each lawyer at like different stages um, of, of the process of them trying to, um, you know, fight through legal means to, um, you know, to fend off these attacks from the Trump administration.
1: I'm glad you already highlighted the editing. I think that the pacing of the movie could have m- made it or broke it. Um, yeah. Could make it or break it, right? Because you have these procedures that go on for a while, but then you have uh, moments that end up having to turn on really fast, and then you have four stories going on in different timelines. So editing editing it in a way that um, can pay that out over the course of the, the movie, uh, as well as presenting a couple of... Conflicts around decisions that the ACLU has made, based on what their what their you know foundational beliefs are, that to defend all civil liberties, um, I think ends up making it a, a, a very difficult, yes, yet sustainable ride um, until you get to the end, which I think I had a the most visceral. I I can feel like I can feel it in my chest right now. Yeah. How how the end. Kind, the of, last kind of scene. Shows. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I was not prepared uh for how deep that cut emotionally uh to watch and hear that play out. Yeah. Um and I would say that in general, what I realized watching this movie is the extent to which I have lost my moral horror mm. um because it is it is such a daily it has been such a daily attack it has been such a daily onslaught since the very beginning which is where this movie starts the movie begins uh with the the Muslim travel ban uh you know which happened right after inauguration mm-hmm uh, like literally, I believe within January of 2017, mm-hmm. it, we were already having this this going on. Yep. Um, and that was when when the directors got involved because I think one of the directors, I think Elise, um, I want to say Elise Steinberg. Um. Also worth pointing out, all four of these movies this week are female directed. Uh, this has co-directors, uh, but one of them is uh, is the woman in question. So she was at. Um, she was at the uh, at the courthouse whenever the, uh, whenever the lawyer Elise Steinberg, yeah, um, whenever this this ACLU lawyer uh, comes out who had gotten this this sort of stay on this on this ruling on, of the of you know to to have the ban temporarily paused. Um, so she was there uh, in the crowd, and then she was like, "This is a movie. This is we have to like cover the ACLU while they are dealing with this." And they very correctly sensed that this was all going. This was just the beginning. Um, right. and so, yeah, so I felt watching this movie cause I feel like it's, it's, it's so difficult to hold on to the clarity of moral horror, um, in a world where we are just besieged by people actively sort of, sort of circulating and perpetuating, wholly false bad faith statements and arguments and philosophies. Mm, mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, you know, like it is, I think that it's watching this movie. I I began to realize the extent to which I have, like, we've all been so gaslit um, these last few years um, into somehow not seeing what is very plainly there or like we see it, but we get so used to it that we don't have the same outrage that we should because we are exhausted from all the other things and then it's even more angering because you know that that's by design that they right. want us this exhausted and this angry that it feeds them and nourishes them. Um, and I generally have been somebody who, like I, I'm not one of these people who goes on Facebook and it's like if you use it for Trump fuck you defriend me um, you know because like there are still people in my life who I love very much uh, who are on that side of things. And but watching this movie, I it I it brought it made me see it again. It gave me such clarity at the moral horror that is that I knew was there, but that I had allowed myself for my own sanity and my own personal comfort.
1: Mm. I'd
0: allowed myself to sort of put on the back burner of my mind because to keep it at the forefront, you, you couldn't. What could you do? Like how could you live? Right. If if you if you if you could understand and assess things the way that you do when you're watching this movie, like how could you do anything else? Um, and so it, it, and, and now if I'm being honest, I have once again, it's receded again in me. I'm um, watching the movie. It was right there at the front and now it's receded again because like, you just can't hold on to that. And that is a fucking travesty. Um, so, you know, I do think it's worth saying uh, for the record, uh, fuck Trump. And if you support him, fuck you.
1: Not, not to mention what's happened since this movie was made, right? So mm-hmm. that what we're, what you're currently, oh my god, living in, yeah, yeah. Um that uh, already some of this is so dated, right? Because we're currently in like a, a whole other cycle Ooh. of of mistakes and and decisions of cruelty, um, right? That we and all have is all to live pre-COVID.
0: with. pre right. COVID, All like pre COVID. This, this entire movie is pre COVID. Uh, you know, it's pre you know, dispatching, you know, teams of of unidentified military into American cities to, uh, you know, put citizens who are protesting into vans and just take them away. Uh, It's before, you know, this dismantling of the U.S. postal system to prevent voting by mail. It is, you know, like it is, it is, it is astounding. It is astounding to watch this movie and to, to be forced to relive all these things that have happened on our watch these last few years it is so it is so angering and so just defeating um because we what can we do uh you know and i even at the end of this movie i think one of the lawyers says like oh yeah you know somebody said to us like you know oh i'm just so glad you guys are there because you're you're our only hope and he was like, well, that's not true at all. Um, we're just some lawyers. Uh, right. Ultimately, you guys are the hope. going do? Because, you know, like you guys are the voters. And, you know, as are we all. So it's it can't just be the lawyers. Uh, the lawyers can't be to look to to save this whole thing. And, and as we see in the outcomes of these, you know, we see in the outcomes of these cases, not all of them end up going the right way. And then we also, over the course of this film, have Brett Kavanaugh confirmed the Supreme Court um and you know the ongoing sort of um you know sort of revisualization of the court and their uh moral and ethical philosophies so it's it's it is a movie that on some level i i never would ever ever want to watch again um but it is so essential it is so absolutely essential to watch because it does it away from all the spin um Away from all the commentary, it just gives you what was actually happening in these situations and the ways that the Trump administration was assaulting constitutional rights, civil rights, uh, and the ways that these lawyers did everything in their power to appeal to courts leading up to the Supreme Court, that this very plainly was a civil rights crisis, a constitutional crisis. Um, and to your point, it also gets into, you know, it's the ACLU's job, even though I'm sure they're they're generally perceived as being left wing. Um, you know, this movie gets into Charlottesville, which is tough.
1: Right. A very difficult moment for the ACLU. Um, and they have a really interesting and nuanced discussion about is that still their place now that they're uh, uh, like the I think the acting director had said, well, if you have a president in power right now, that is sp- like. Openly saying racist things now is uh, the exact time when you need somebody defending so the everyone's right to speech because who is he going to try to silence? So it is, and then they also like juxtapose that with interviews other uh, leads from the ACLU who do not think it was a good decision for them to defend the organizers of the Charlottesville um, rally. These things are complicated and it doesn't shy away from from showing that. And I think that's another thing that I, I really like about this movie is that it doesn't I didn't feel like this was a propaganda piece for the ACLU. I didn't no. feel like it was trying to show these kind of four main lawyers for these four, five uh, pillars as like superheroes necessarily. Um, I think it showed their struggle and the stress And I mean, it's it was definitely complimentary towards them, but I didn't feel like that was the point of the movie, which it could have easily gone that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't even know if I would say that it will. And going back to Charlottesville briefly, just in case. Yeah. In case listeners aren't aren't familiar. uh, You know, the ACLU worked with the um, the white nationalists to organize the Charlottesville rally to secure their permit. Um, because the ACLU, you know believes in the Constitution and the First Amendment. and uh, so they have assembly,
1: they,
0: yeah, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech. And so you know they they have a long history of supporting uh, the right of any group to exercise their constitutional right of speech and assembly. and uh, so they they are not a partisan group in that regard. Um, and then it does lead to sort of more nuanced conversations around, like, well, what does constitute hate speech, and when does it become something that actually is no longer a matter of constitutional right and now becomes something that is unlawful? But, um, but yeah, no, i I feel like the lawyers certainly generally come off looking good. But I don't think that that's because the film is giving them like a friendly edit or like shooting them a certain way or scoring them a certain way. right. right i th- I think that, you know, they just happen to follow all around these five lawyers who i mean not even all of them are that charismatic maybe three or three or so i would say okay are, 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 like dale brigitte and chase are charismatic i would say um so oh, but josh is a <laughs> no he seems very nice but he also you could tell he was just much more like bookish like you know like sure. he was he didn't he didn't really have like a big personality on camera like you they're don't all have of your course, ACLU doing trading work.
1: cards that we can <laughs> compare i have dale ho's rookie year
0: All right. Well, I'll trade you some later, but, okay. um, but yeah, no, I didn't think that it was valorizing, um, untruthfully, uh, unfoundedly what they do. I think it very much showed, you know, it showed the kind of process and progress that I believe in, which is, you know, working within the system to create change and, you know, it's showing the very, very, very hard work we see, you know, Dale and Brigitte pulled away from their families repeatedly Uh, you know, to go and and do this work, which is just round the clock. And, uh, you know, so it shows sacrifices that they make to do this. And it shows how thankless it is. There's a whole, there's a whole uh, montage of them sort of reviewing all the hate mail they get Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: the death threats and the horrific voicemails that are left for them. Um, And uh, so, you know, I feel like it it covers the bases. Uh, And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like you can't find a bigger sort of crack in the foundation of the ACLU than to look at their, um, you know, that they are nonpartisan and to look at their support of hate groups. So, like, I feel like it, I mean that's that would be the biggest elephant in the room if they didn't address that, but mm-hmm. it did. So since, and I feel like they addressed it pretty honestly, and by showing the actual footage of the car plowing into the crowd yep. and killing Heather Heyer. Like they force they force you to look at it, and and because they want you to to know, this is what happened. This is a cost. Like this is something that happened, and the ACLU. This is what they have to contend with. So, you know, we're watching these lawyers processing this, and there are different points of view on it. So, I really feel like it did, sort of get into that that very 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 thorny, very painful subject. Um, truthfully, mm-hmm. um, it's a.
1: This is the toughest watch in in a while and we've seen a lot of horror movies lately we've (laughs) seen a lot of documentaries and you know in the past couple of years this one was just it maybe it's also at the time like like you mentioned you know we're looking back over four years these are things that with what's currently going on you could almost say you've forgotten it sounds terrible This also no i don't feel good about what i'm saying but with you know. know all of the other assaults happening these just, they just, it becomes a pile and, and some of these fall to the, to the bottom. And it feels like a million years ago when races was, was raising money. Um, and they, you, you get exposure to the people behind the cases that go, um, that go up to the level of the Supreme Court. And you see how this calculated, inhumane strategy of, pushing extreme uh, policies affects people and it is maybe it is also again like like, uh, the time like the context of of having maybe re-educated ourselves so much about slavery and civil rights in the past few months seeing it on this very like personal level right now how people are being treated um, in such an inhumane way um is just it's devastating
0: yeah i think it it really it shows you the human face of each of these each of these different scenarios um and like you know and i'm not so delusional as to think that a conservative leaning person would be like oh let me give this movie by the ACLU a chance um you know so i don't know that it's going to you know be seen by by the audience that needs to see it the most but I do think that one of the things that's 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 good about it as well is that they never really show the lawyers um, criticizing. There's no sort of like bloviating about Trump and the Trump administration. Like they just mm-hmm. take it all at at face value. They're like, okay, so the Trump administration just just filed, you know, or t- Trump just tweeted that he's banning trans people from the military. Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, so like there's no, they don't just sit around and go, ah, Trump's a piece of shit like that. Like that's, that's never in this movie. So, you know, like there, it's very much very specifically and very academically about the legality of everything. Um, it's about the constitution, it's about protecting the constitution. It's about how these people, um, you know, these lawyers interpret the constitution and how they use the court system to defend it. So it is in that way it's really you know it's a spiritual um um ancestor or or, or sister or or daughter of Hail Satan.
1: Mm yeah but
0: back to back watching both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if
1: anything they talk about um the when when Kavanaugh is um becomes part of the Supreme Court and I think Brigitte's talking to her daughter and she just says like mommy's job just got very hard. Yeah
0: I mean this is not this is not like a yeah this is this is, this is not feel like a propaganda movie it's not pandering it doesn't feel like something that, like you know, Lawrence O'Donnell would have whipped together uh, for a segment on MSNBC. <laughs> um, you know, like it, it feel it still has complete integrity as a documentary, and um, and currently, I would say is the definitive chronicle of the first and hopefully only Trump term mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the, the the continued nonstop, relentless assault on civil rights. Um binge it? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is my this is my pick of the week.
1: Yeah, same. Um,
0: so yeah, it's a it's a major binge. Um yeah, it's
1: You have to do it.
0: Yeah. I feel like no, if, I there, mean,
1: if if you're if you're kind of thinking like what what can I do? I think at the very least watching this might inspire you to do something else whether it's to donate, whether it's to maybe get on a phone bank before election, whether it's you know to donate somewhere more locally this movie packs a punch in a way that it might just like shake you up a bit to, to do something more yeah so i think this is a and, good first step
0: yeah and you know and i feel like you know some people would say like oh see like this is why i don't watch things like that because it's just gonna make you all these it's like the media it just wants to make you scared or make you angry um but the difference is that this is all true this is mm-hmm. all really, this, this all really happened and is still happening. You know, families are still being separated. Children still haven't been reunited with their parents. And the idea that there are millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans who are like, well, good. Yeah. They shouldn't try coming over. Yeah. Is, and is, is unconscionable. And, and I think, honestly, to be able to to know that there really is like a constitutional basis, because I think for me as like not a lawyer, not a legal scholar, for me, it's just a matter of of morality and of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was in some ways like really reassuring to know that, like, oh, that's right. There's also the const of fucking tuition. hmm. Right uh there's also that thing uh to look to to explain why these actions are wrong and unlawful yeah um yeah well now i'm upset all over again
1: okay let's move on <laughs> uh it's a binge it from both of us uh pick of the week i think we said uh and it's available to rent on apple amazon google and it's rated pg-13 for strong language thematic material and brief violence movie number three. Oh. Wow, these just go like two peas in a pod. Is mm. she dies tomorrow? Amy is ravaged by the notion that she is going to die tomorrow, which sends her down a dizzying emotional spiral. When her skeptical friend Jane discovers Amy's feeling of imminent death to be contagious, they both begin bizarre journeys through what might be the last day of their lives.
0: Uh, so this is a this is a curious little one. Uh, this is a, another movie that uh, that many many say feels uh sort of very perfectly of our exact time and moment. Mm. Uh even though uh the writer director Amy Simetz uh made it, of course, pre-COVID. Uh but, you know, this, this movie uh which is sort of alternately a psychological thriller uh, metaphysical drama and perhaps also uh, an absurdist comedy <laughs> uh, feels uh, it feels very at the moment because it is sort of about the spread of dread and anxiety the sort of just existential dread anxiety um, of just being certain uh, that you're going to die tomorrow uh, it also it-
1: deals with contagion
0: Mm-hmm, Which is something that very
1: top of mind for, for us right now, <laughs> as a world, as people who live in twenty twenty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was interesting here, how something that so many people are feeling still feels so isolating. Everyone had you know kind of that gets affected by this is really kind of stuck in their own head about it. It's mm-hmm. happening to so many people at the same time. Do you feel like that tracks to what's happening in the world?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think as you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's so that's so spot on, uh, because especially there's there's one scene in particular where we see it sort of afflict a married couple, um, sort of within moments of each other while they're both standing in the kitchen, and they each are completely isolated in their experience. Uh, and that yeah, it it felt very it felt very true to form. Um, very, very true to how people are experiencing COVID, where, you know, it's something that is impacting literally the entire world. Um, but all of us are kind of each in our own little prison with it. Um, and because, you know, it impacts us to the deepest level of how we live and move and breathe and have our being. So, uh, yeah, so it felt very, very spot on for that. But in terms of what the movie actually is, Um, you know, it's a it's 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 experimental. Uh it is uh you know it's it's very it's very artsy, it's very experimental. Uh, you know, it's not really uh it never really goes out of its way to to tell you anything directly. Uh it's it's very Lynchian, would you agree? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And I don't know if maybe anytime you just see like Uh, You know, a shot like a medium shot of a woman's face looking kind of aghast while like colored lights flash on it (laughs) (laughs) just automatically takes you to lynch. Yeah, that. Uh, This had some of that Mulholland Drive dream logic to it. It
1: really did. And just like Mulholland Drive, Michelle Rodriguez shows up in the last (laughs) third
0: <laughs> Mishy loves uh, pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> Mishy loves a contagion. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, that was that was. I, it's funny because I I'd seen like on IMDb that she was in it, and then I forgot until she showed up, and I'm like, Mishy. <laughs> uh, that hair there, looks her. great on her. She looks fantastic. She mm-hmm. looked really good in this. Uh, and pro- inappropriately, was like probably just where she just happened to be when Amy Simons <laughs> called her and was like, hey, like, you know, do you want to want shoot a scene for this movie I'm making? And she was just like, hey, like, I was hanging out with my girlfriend. Like, we just had an all-night Coke banter and they're just, like, lying on b- underneath the coffee table in my, like, chic living room. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> come on over. They are like, on it. Let so, me ad
1: lib about menstruation for a moment.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Do you ever really think about it? So, like, yeah, it was just... <laughs> She was just on one with that. Uh, one of one of one of several uh, uh, recognizable faces that you see uh, in supporting roles in this film. We also have Mark. Uh, not, no, not Mark Duplass. Uh, you have Chris Messina, uh, noted mm-hmm. noted holiday drag queen, Chris Messina. Um,
1: <laughs> Gets me every time.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have uh katie azelton who plays his wife who is the wife of mark duplass which is why i was going to say mark duplass oh
1: you um, have jane adams
0: jane adams boy oh boy what a treat uh she's so good in this so good this is like happiness level work from jane adams mm.
1: yeah sorry I'm just, uh, I'm just so happy about it <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, the the semi lead um, is, is played by Caitlin Shiel, uh, who actually did a movie that we never reviewed, an isolated scene called um, Kate Plays Christine, uh, which is relevant to her interest because uh, in this movie, which was also um, very experimental, um, she was playing herself as an actress who has uh, booked uh, the role of Christine Chubbick oh, yes, mm-hmm. uh of uh which we discuss in our review of the movie Christine starring Rebecca Hall. this movie came out around the same time, um and it was just about it was it was like sort of like a feature length um kind of meditation on this actress trying to like figure out how to play christine chubbick um so uh so yeah, so that's what we have uh so we going
1: also have on here. T- from t v on the radio and that's right
0: who who when we weren't Spider-Man. looking beca- who when we weren't looking became a hundred years old right. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> like he's he's my age probably, right <laughs> I don't what happened? Is that what, is he playing what his own happened? father and
0: himself? am very confused. Is he like, did, back, really? like yeah, exactly. Like did he <laughs> like did he also get some sort of like rapid aging thing while he caught like the you're gonna die tomorrow thing? Like or does he have like symptoms? Like do people have different symptoms of this thing? Like I was like literally, I'm like, who is this thousand-year-old man? Um, And why is he like there with like a 25 year old Asian woman? And uh, and oh, that's that's oh, that's him. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was very it was very confusing. Um, So, uh, yeah. So Amy Simetz, we also uh, talked about when she gave what I think was a really, really knockout performance as the mom in the Pet Cemetery remake. Mm hmm. Uh, but, uh, she is, a uh, kind of first and foremost, uh, writer director and, uh, yeah. And this is, this is just a really, a really sort of fascinating kind of mood tone experiment.
1: I don't feel like it ultimately delivers.
0: No, I would agree.
1: Um, I was very much looking forward to this movie. Um, and I don't know that I need, I don't generally need a movie to say something. I, I'm okay with ambiguity, um, but it also didn't – it had it has, it has some kind of, like, false starts, and I wasn't clear where – I don't know. It just kind of fizzled, I think, a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I,
1: I can uh, see the the other kind of – I was like, okay, it, you know, if it's not going to have, like, a big, you know, explanation or a, a big kind of climax, then – then maybe the thing is that, like, kind of just saying what we were talking about in the fight is that part of it is, like, that you just get used to this feeling of, like, impending doom until, like, that no longer becomes the feeling. And then it doesn't quite land there either. So I kind of just felt like I had sort of a little, a little bit of a mess on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have said that in a different way. But I said it, and here we are.
0: Nothing to do with Master uh, This... <laughs> I feel like this is another movie where we could go back to one of our all-time uh, best uh, descriptions of a heroine in her plight. Uh, she's having a hard time. She's just kind
1: of She's having a hard time.
0: <laughs> she's just kind of having a hard time. You know, I mean, first we had Alfre Woodard and Clemency, and now we have uh, <laughs> Caitlin Scheele, and she dies tomorrow. Both women who are just kind of having a hard time.
1: Just really um, having having a hard time. <laughs> I, I think you know what really kind of what I think was a what what this movie started to push me away is that the complete lack of empathy everyone has towards each other. Everyone like that's affected by this and kind of moves into their social circle is just has already burnt so many bridges that it made it hard to kind of kinda of take the journey. Um we have like the, the The main characters has has we learned has been struggling with addiction, so kind of nobody believes her about what's going on. And then we have um Jane Adams' character goes to hang out with her brother and his wife, and like she hates her. so like so these people are go- are really having a, having a hard time, and nobody around them is there to support them at all. <laughs> I found that like just really unrealistic.
0: Yeah, it, everyone is very alienated from everyone else, which I don't know if it's meant, meant to be like an L.A. commentary or what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, no, everyone, everyone, there's no human connection in this movie. Um, so it really seems to, and it kind of, it more or less begins, it frames itself as sort of almost being about this breakup. Um, and for the first 10 or 15 minutes or so, that's kind of what you're thinking you're watching. You're watching a woman just sort of go through a breakup. Um, and then we find out that it's about this, this other thing of, of just being convinced that you're going to die the next day. And honestly, a, a thought that I had watching this was that it felt almost more like a stoner horror.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: You can just imagine like, just like being super high and then suddenly getting really paranoid and being like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And then like you're with other people who are all stoned and you're, you're like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And they're like, what? I'm going to die tomorrow. And then you're just like <laughs> spreading this like stoner paranoia like amongst all your friends. <laughs> Everyone's like, "I'm gonna die tomorrow." And you're just kind of like all freaking out because you're just stoned. Um, the movie the movie isn't not a stoner movie. I'll just I'll, yeah, I'll just say sure. that um, and yeah, I mean, I think that I was reading an interview with Amy Simetz. and, you know, and she was talking about how, like, you know, she's like for any of us to live in this world, successfully, we must live in constant denial of the reality of death. Because if we were in touch with the reality of death coming for us all, we couldn't live. And so this is sort of like, what if somebody had a crack in that denial come through, and then suddenly the assurance of death hit them. And then that's why no one wants to talk to them because everyone's living in denial about the fact that we're all going to die. And so we can't talk to anyone who is going to remind us of that because we don't want to hear it.
1: Which is... I, I sort of thought the other way this was going to go, right, where it's like, oh, this is just kind of um, a metaphor for anxiety and people having difficulty relating to people who have, an, like, anxiety issues. Mm-hmm. It didn't quite yeah. go there either.
0: I no, no. It kind. Of, well, I think it's just... Amy Simons is just a very abstract filmmaker and she just really didn't want to have to spell anything out. She wanted to leave it open-ended, you know, people can project, um, you know, as a Rorschach test, you know, any kind of anxiety or fear or dread, um, you know, whether it's all the way to the top death or whether it is just anything. Um, so, and there, were there any moments where it seemed funny to you aside from Mishy? Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, that definitely felt hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, funny to me no I I feel like you're thinking of something in particular
0: well I mean I think that there were um, there was a moment in uh, with the couple with Chris Messina and Katie Azelton when it kind of hits them both and they're staying in the kitchen each like looking in a different direction with the most stricken look on their face Um, in that moment it started to feel a little farcical it started to feel a little mm, comedic but they're both just saying uh,
1: I'm going to die tomorrow right to die
0: tomorrow. Yeah, which it just kind of felt at that point, it just kind of felt funny, especially because they've been given this setup, um, this very, like you noted, very sort of like simplistic setup where Katie Aselton's playing like the bitty sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're like rooting for something bad to happen to her and then it spreads to her and then they were both staring out different windows in the same kitchen like, you know, we die tomorrow. And it just seems like they're just like two stoned.
1: Yeah, um, or it was like some weird like body invasion. Yeah, they like kind of stick their hands up like zombies or something, right?
0: very pod people and and it is funny, it's interesting though, um, kind of what you were saying about how everybody is on their own trip, so to speak, in this, and no one's connecting, but they but Jane Adams she tries like she tries to connect, you know yeah, she even in she the, runs in the over to her brother. Mm-hmm.
1: that one makes well like yeah i guess I guess at that point, but it's just it's even it's even before everyone kind of falls into their own loop it's it's these two kind of big moments it's it's jane adams's response to um uh what's her name the main character
0: amy. yeah uh, amy to,
1: to, to amy's like first acknowledgement of of this and that's it's like i'm here with you but like immediately like i'm not going to stay up all night i've been through this enough with you and then mm-hmm. again with jane's and uh um relationship with her sister-in-law which is very like you always have to make this about you it's just like there's just nothing, uh, nothing coming in terms of like, whoa, there's something wrong
0: with you. No, and and this might have that in common with aspects of the fight also where there's just a real lack of empathy. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it did remind me though of of the time that I thought I was dying, but was actually just too high. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I think mean, yeah, I've told you that story, right? For I don't uh, think so. Well, so it was so I once. So, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of weed and whatnot, it's it's something that uh, for, you know, most of my life had not been much of a part of it. But when I lived with my last roommate back in from 2006 to nine, there was, you know, he was uh, he partook. And uh, and one one weekend evening, I was cooking in the kitchen and then I was feeling, you know, peckish while I was cooking. And so I went in the freezer and I found this like little cookie wrapped up and I was like, oh, cookie. And so, <clears throat> so I ate, a, I ate a little chunk of it because, you know, I didn't want him to, you know, have the whole thing be suddenly gone. So I was just, you know, just my food thievery that I've that I've done for like my entire life. Um, I was like, oh, I'll just take a little bit. He won't notice. So I took a little bit of the cookie, mm-hmm. paid the price. So, <clears throat> so walked into my bedroom and I had like, I had made like pasta and I was watching my Will and Grace DVDs. So I just sat there eating pasta and watching Will and Grace and then suddenly... Time stopped and the bottom fell out of the universe, <laughs> and uh, and I I truly had no concept of what was happening. Uh, it was very much that that like infamous nine one one call from that cop uh, who called nine one one because like him and his girlfriend had like taken weed that they had like confiscated from some uh, you know uh, someone they had apprehended. And then they took it home and like, you know, and got high and then they got too high and they called 911 to say that they were dying and they needed help. Um, I, I reached that level very quickly. And it had never happened to me before. I had never been high in that way. And so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm dying. Uh, I'm dying like tonight. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go die at Scott's place. So I packed a little death bag and, (laughs) uh, and I walked like the 20, 25 minutes from my then apartment to Scott's then apartment and, uh, you know, entered the apartment and I was like the whole way over there. I was like, how am I going to tell him that I'm dying? Oh my God. Like, how do you tell your boyfriend? Like, you're going to like die right in front of them and you just want to say goodbye. So get his apartment. And you know he lets me in, and I'm thinking like, oh, this poor pitiful man, he has no idea that I'm about to die in front of him. And um, and so I just kind of like drop my bag off, and I go in the bathroom, and I like look at myself in the mirror, and I say goodbye to myself. And I was like, welp.
1: Oh my this god. This is this
0: is where the road ends, buddy. It's been a ride. And uh, and then I walk back into the TV room and plop down next to Scott on the couch, who was watching like Law and Order SBU. And I turned to him and kind of was just looking at him and he looked at me and he was like, is was something wrong or what's 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 up? And then I opened my mouth to explain that I was about to die in front of him. And what came out when I opened my mouth was laughter, a lot of laughter. And I. Uh, and then all at once I suddenly put the pieces together <laughs> that like clearly what I had happened was that I had had a pot cookie and now I oh was just God. stoned and not dying. And then, then I started then like through like peals of laughter, I was explaining to him. I'm like, I thought I was dying. I'm just stoned. Oh my God. Is this what it feels <laughs> like? I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> and he, and he's like, just go with it. Just go with it. He's a very good drug Sherpa. So he was like, just go with it. It's okay. Just go with it. And then like, and then fortunately there was an SVU marathon on, which was oh, my yeah. immediate, that was my savior. Like every time that like the credits would roll, but then there'd be an, another like donk donk and it was roll the credits for the next episode. I'm like, I was like, oh yes. So, <laughs> and that's what got me through it. Um so you know that was my impulse so I understood, watching this movie I mean this all the more reason why I think of this as like a Stoner movie. Um it just feels like people who get too high and then they're just like I need to call someone and tell them I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I mean
1: it doesn't have like a sense of urgency. I think that like um not not even urgency. It Doesn't have a like a a pinging dread feeling that a Lynch movie would have or mm-hmm. that kind of like um horror aspect it does feel like it gets it makes it a little tiring i think that you're like okay well nobody's died yet (laughs) (laughs) we just keep talking about it
0: and then there are times when it seems like it's going to happen like there's like one scene that gave me chills in my entire body when like jane Adams is like in her little like science lab like that was bone chilling
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well you're scared uh, of science
0: but i am i am um what do you what do we
1: want to what do you want to give this one jason
0: I will give it a consume. You know, I mean, I feel like it has it. It has. I think if you watch this movie, you you just kind of can't expect it to make any sense. Uh, just just let it be an experience. Uh, it, it is just a, it's just moods. It's moments. It's style. Um, you know, just just kind of let it wash over you, and then take what you will from it. You know, if you connect with it on some level, then great. If you don't, then yeah, sorry, it's not a masterpiece. It's um, an anxiety so. moment. Yeah, yeah. If so and know. certainly, yeah. And anyone who, yeah, if you have like major uh, anxiety issues, I don't know if you should watch or not. You might feel seen by it. It might be the kind of like it might give you that kind of creative mm-hmm. distance um, that you can kind of approach the subject of anxiety without being triggered. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. What about you?
1: I feel I feel like uh, again now send it back. Feels so weighted, but I did feel like it was a disappointment. I don't know if I was kind of looking for that like creative distance, uh, relatable movie or something to really say something about, you know, people and each other and our mind, you know, I don't know, something about society or, uh, mental illness or something. And it just didn't really deliver. So it, I'm going to say send it back. Okay. But it is a mood and it is, it is fun. So I'm giving it, a, I guess, a send it back plus. Is that what we do?
0: <laughs> I think it's a, first. it's a first. It's the first time we did a send it back plus.
1: We've done Consume Minus, but this is a send it back plus. Yeah. It's because it was such, such, such a disappointment. Yeah. But um, it is available on Apple, Amazon, and Google and rated R for language, some sexual references, drug use, and bloody images. And here we are at movie number four this week, which is Amulet. An ex-soldier, living homeless in London, is offered a place to stay at a decaying house inhabited by a young woman and her dying mother. As he starts to fall for her, he cannot ignore his suspicion that something sinister is going on. Mold is having a big year. (laughs) Big Mold has its finger in Hollywood pocketbooks right now.
0: Deep-pocketed Big Mold. (laughs) It's <laughs> really it's really it's really putting itself uh, at the center of the show mm-hmm. uh, as as are stories about just sort of a uh, creepy old buildings that have uh, would appear to be older women in them that are going through a tough time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you thought it was going to be all about viruses. It's all about bacteria.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so this one certainly has uh, some similarities to relic uh which we recently reviewed and uh, as a matter of fact relic she dies tomorrow and amulet were all included in the same essay in the new york times recently uh about uh sort of like our current uh moment of loneliness uh, and sort of looking at these three horror-ish films that are all coming out at the same time mm-hmm. that all kind of take on uh, the subject of loneliness and isolation that sort of takes on this additional meaning uh, for, for some audiences uh, at this point in time. Although I should say, just briefly on She Dies Tomorrow, like aside from my own personal drug story, like I didn't connect with it at all. Um, like mm-hmm. I didn't like Palm Springs remains by far the most triggering COVID movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not connect with she dies tomorrow in that way at all. I was not picking up what I was putting down. But so anyway, amulet.
1: I felt uh, like amulet's more of a stretch. I feel like like uh, <clears throat> she dies tomorrow. I could see the the connection to um, COVID life, but mm-hmm. th- this one feels like a stretch. This one this one definitely feels related to Relic um, in terms of. Houses, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) this one to me didn't seem so much about isolation, it was about other things.
0: (laughs) Other things, uh, those things that it's about are not disclosed until the very end.
1: (laughs) Really, really, the end.
0: Really, truly, no idea what's happening until the end.
1: That was a that was both a problem and not. I feel like this is a movie that I would have loved at 70 minutes or what 78 minutes. (laughs) Right. In, if it was revealed at the end, but this one's a little bit over an hour and a half and it's too long, too long until we get to the, the big reveals. I think.
0: Yeah, I would concur. Um, I watched this. This was another movie that I watched over the phone with Beth Dean. And, <laughs> uh, and we, neither of us had the foggiest idea what the fuck was happening for like the entire first hour uh like i had i had no concept of what 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 the setting was i didn't know where it was i didn't know when it was like it seemed like it took place in eastern europe in like the early Mm. 80s and then you find out it's supposed to be london and like present day based on what people look like when they go out right right uh very, but it, but there's there like a, there's a sort of war there's a conflict of some sort we don't know which one um uh, it was you know there's a dual timeline here where uh you know we only have a uh, our leading man uh who was also in a very great game movie called God's Own country uh you know in in some scenes he has a beard and some he doesn't and uh so and Beth was like so I are we meant to just guess that the beard means it's later <laughs> because beards grow <laughs> uh hard to say which storylines unfolding first we just don't know
1: yeah that was that was tough to piece together i think to me it was clear the 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 war timeline no beard modern time beard that right. was clear but how long t- how much time had passed yeah and and the fact that they were in london now that i also was was very surprised
0: yeah Yeah, that was it. In no way, shape, or form does this look or feel like London, Uh, and in no way, shape, or form does it look or feel like present day. Uh, I have have
1: kind of a thing where I sometimes don't have a very easy time telling people apart. Um, He, he. At first, I was like, "Okay, is it just him with the beard?" And I was like, "I don't want to be someone that just thinks it's the same guy because he, you know, looks." relatively the same so i looked it up and then i was also confused a little bit with um the um the the character of magda who Mm -hmm. is played by
0: carla jory
1: yes from wetlands from Um... wetlands (laughs) holy shit (laughs) uh this one is a very very similar to wetlands um Ah. And she was sitting on a, on a bed and there's some like lighting changes and like maybe some hair changes. I'm like, is that the same person? I'm so confused. <laughs> I had to do a quick look up on IMDB yeah. to make sure I was like, You're like, like how many characters.
0: characters are in this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well they started to get the
1: like <laughs> porter number two. I'm like, okay, then, then it's just these top five.
0: Well, you know, she just has the kind of face that like just like will look completely different given Mm -hmm. like just like change her hair a little put in a different outfit and she looks like she's a different woman exactly um so yeah it was so yeah so we have this dual timeline and we know that in one of them he in the in the before timeline he's this this some kind of ptsd ravaged soldier who takes in a vulnerable woman who is like fleeing during this conflict this like unclear conflict and uh and then so we have that time that storyline kind of play out where it seems like he's perhaps trying to help this woman. And then we see him just kind of roaming the countryside. Then he gets taken in by a nun played by Imelda Staunton, uh, <laughs> who I, who I wanted way more of than we got, uh, but who we got some choice material out of at the end. Um, and, uh, and so she kind of takes him in and then introduces him to, you know, has him go and move into a house with this woman who is dealing with uh a very difficult situation regarding. She's having. Uh, she's having a hard time. She's having a hard time. Uh, she has um, a, uh, a, a. I believe it's a family member. Is it mother, grandmother? Mother. I guess a uh, mother. So her mother is Did in you the. You cry when
1: you were watching this.
0: No, I mean I was. I was not. I was just. It was just. I was just watching with that dean, uh, which is its own. You know its own sort of stimulant but mm-hmm. uh so i uh yeah so you know it's her her mother uh and we start to get the sense that this there's this this mother there's some some issues beyond just basic health problems um and uh so it starts to feel very relic and you know we have this sort of like what appears to be a, a you know a much older woman who is in the throes of some sort of possession um and uh yeah. And so he's there to help out and, you know, try to help this woman deal with this impossible nightmare that she has going on in the attic. And uh, and then it all goes the direction that I, for one, did not see coming.
1: And I don't I don't think we should get too much into the details about what happens, because if you do end up making it, right. um, if you do make it to the end, it's worth the payoff for sure. Oh, yeah. I, know. I, I was not, not I was a... not
0: playing on. I'm not going to say any of those any of the things that happen Um, because certainly it's the only reason to watch the movie at all uh, is for the completely gonzo finale.
1: I'm not a horror movie fan. There are some moments in here that are like pretty gnarly grotesque, and it is pretty confusing. So if you get to the end, because any of those things are appealing to you, it's it's worth the payoff for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I did immediately... Beth and I both, well, so upon first watching it, we were both like, we hate this. <laughs> uh, this is so fucking stupid. Uh, what even did we just watch? And then we like got off the phone. And then in real time, we're like testing each other quotes from interviews. We were both reading. We were like hate reading interviews with the director. Um, this is written directed by uh, an actress named uh, Romola Garai. And, uh, and so we were like, I remember at some point, like toward the end, I was like, wait a minute. Is this feminist horror? And Beth's like, no, there is no fucking way. Um, And then, Um, so it was, yeah, it took some interesting turns. I will say, not, of course, getting into anything from the finale, but I feel like the male lead was miscast.
1: Hmm, why?
0: Well, this is tricky to explain without sounding like kind of on the wrong side of things, but he, he just, <laughs> so I asked. yeah, I know exactly. You're like, I know what you I know what you mean. I'm going to make you say it. Uh, because he, at no point registers as somebody who you're like, you know, he no at no point registers as somebody that you want this to happen to. <laughs> um, and you know, and there's, you know, there are things that are revealed about the past, um, but let's just say, like, I feel like the actor in general, his energy and essence was entirely too sort of just like pleasant and likable. If anything, I was annoyed with him because he was so fucking mopey and morose the entire movie. Mm. Um, I was like, Jesus Christ, enough! Uh, and uh, so, but yeah, like, at no point, especially reading the interviews with his director and like what she was sort of communicating. Uh, via this revealed way too late in the game uh, uh, sort of development. Um, I was like, oh, OK, cool. Like that that would be really fun to watch. Like if I had any kind of like hatred of this character. Um, so and and again, mm. like there's there's a development in terms of this, the timeline that is objectively a horrible thing. And uh, but, yeah, it's just and, and she even says she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I wanted him to be a character where like, oh, it's a nice guy. It's a nice guy. Um, so like point taken. do I think it was effective? No, uh, mm. I, to me, I like that about for me it undermined it. it
1: because I feel like there's also things that happen in the present timeline that reinforce what um, what you learn about him again, it's like,
0: <laughs> well, welcome yeah, like to the game thinks. of welcome to the game of coded talk I was just doing for like three minutes <laughs> while you let me while you let me twist in the wind <laughs>
1: um, i I think that that what you're saying it makes it harder to figure out what's going on when you figure out what's going on mm-hmm. because it it doesn't you don't have the framework in your mind of like good, bad, you know, and what's going to happen because of those judgments. But I think that the um, the mopiness and the general uh cowardice of the present timeline along with some of the decisions made in the present timeline um you know don't make don't make his casting as a as a n- not the hero uh unfair or unwarranted
0: mhm mm-hmm. yeah and i guess i'm just looking for i feel like there were there were you know there are choices that could have been made to I feel like it was just basically too subtle in sort of laying out this sort of shadow nature of this guy. Um and even like sort of this thing from before, like Beth and I were like, so what 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 exactly was what 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 had what did he just do? What are we supposed to take away from this scene? Like we we were unclear uh because it is it is it is depicted you know very uh sort of uh briefly. They, they kinda, uh,
1: the whole buildup of the of the older timeline to me felt yeah. like I was waiting for like the shoe to drop. And so yeah. I had a, a huge, you know, question marks, uneasy feelings about his character um, from the get go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was I, I was very unclear on where we were going with the um, the previous storyline. Very unclear. Mm. Uh, and then when it got there, I was like, where is this coming from? I did not feel like it was set up. Uh, which again, you know, could of course be part of her point that, you know, it, it's just the randomness of it all. Uh, it just felt borderline nihilistic. And then in these interviews when she's trying to explain like, the you know, why in the present tense there's these things that he does. It's like, oh, yeah, he's just there offering help even though no one asked for it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't know, degrees wise that that's quite. And this is where we can't really talk about it. Yeah, we can't really talk about it. Because, yeah, we can't really talk uh, about it. So... Uh, but yeah oh, we'll so fight about it over text sure but uh, yeah no suffice to say um, I uh, I was I ultimately you know the finale of this movie is like grand guanyol uh, like crazy so bananas I, I was texting with Amy about it today because she hasn't seen it yet and uh, and I was trying to I was just like yeah I was like oh, you know the first hour so I was like mm. but then the finale is like the craziest thing I've ever seen and she's like well not crazier than the relic finale I'm like I think it's crazier than the Relic Finale.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent.
0: By no means do I think it's better than the Relic Finale, but in terms of craziness, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think there, there was an underlining, you know, the, the Relic Finale had, was really built on a foundation of like just human sadness. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is on just like primitive, horror yeah. uh, like phantasmagorical insanity so like it is it is, yeah well yeah we, we, we've said all we need to say we've about said, this, we've said enough already. about this finale uh, so uh, I, yeah crazier than relic
1: haven't seen it before was like yeah. wish I would have seen it with somebody that's definitely something that I wish I, you could be like what the fuck and it's oh, kind of a it, bummer now that we can't really talk about it <laughs> So y'all so, get to watching it and then we can all talk about it. So Sol
0: did not watch this one with you? She
1: did not. She doesn't really like horror movies. Um, and so this one would have been, Michelle doesn't yeah. like bats. So this would have been.
0: Jesus. A, <laughs> a mess. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that
1: gnarly, the bat thing
0: actually, I think the New York Times piece pointed out the bat connection to COVID.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, now it's just like we're, we're, we're reaching, we're reaching a little bit. <laughs> this one didn't. Yeah, this one didn't have COVID vibes to me at all
0: fair um but uh it did have other vibes and those oh, vibes man. were crazy
1: vibes there's a whole there's a whole nun twist in here that's just beautiful
0: yeah. it brings it full circle with yes god yes although that movie was i'm sure you would agree a little light on nuns
1: yeah yeah it was pretty light on nuns
0: yeah. but i feel <laughs> like
1: you could watch like the first 20 minutes and then kind of fast forward through the middle and then pick up again about 45 minutes in, skip like the middle 20 for this movie. I don't think you're going to lose anything.
0: Yeah, no. like, yeah, Just fast forward until you see a close-up of a toilet. And uh, <laughs> and, and then just start watching from there. And yeah. I can assure you, you've missed nothing. Right. Uh, but I don't know. What are you going to give this?
1: Giving it... Uh... Yeah, I want to give it a binge it so I have more people to talk about it with. <laughs>
0: Oh, I see. We're appropriating our rating system for your own purposes.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll give it a consume plus.
0: <laughs> oh God, I would say for this this one is like a consume minus for me. Uh, it's very nearly a send it back. The more that I read the review, the interviews with 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 Ms. Garay, um, the more I could appreciate what it was she was going for. Although it didn't change the fact that it waited entirely too long to too long. reveal any of that. And then just gives it to you like all in a very concentrated blitz in like the last 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, and then that's it. And then it's just over. Um,
1: and then it's, it is like the opposite of She Dies Tomorrow. Where she Dies Tomorrow. You're just like going in like, well, what a crazy premise. Like, what is this going to do? And it's nothing. And then you have this one, which is like, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a horror movie, whatever. And at the end, you're like, what the fuck? Am I high?
0: No, <laughs> we yeah, all ghost ourselves, although for a chunk of it, it still feels like it's about nothing. It feels similar to She <laughs> Tomorrow for the first 45 minutes or so, where you're like, What even are we watching? What is this about? But yes, it certainly does. Similar to Relic, it's a slow burn that builds up into an extremely memorable finale.
1: Mm-hmm. Boy, um, cool it is available on apple amazon google and it's rated r for some strong violence bloody images sexual assault and brief language and nudity let's wrap it up that's it that's it thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the binge um you can subscribe if you want and you can follow jason on twitter at
0: excess baggage
1: at fight balance thank you so much for listening
0: bye guys Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There goes
1: the binge.